Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. You're about to hear a favorite from the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze archive. This show originally aired in 2019. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us. We're in our culinary studios at the Big G Gateway Community College in downtown New Haven. The use of five professional kitchens, part of their culinary education program. I'm with my food buddies. What a show we have lined up for you. We've got the guy from Red Truck Bakery on this show with us. And people come from all over to try his baked goods. And wait till you hear the people who have endorsed the baked stuff that he does. It's pretty mind-blowing. We got Mother's Day coming. We have some ideas of what you can cook for a mom's breakfast. We've got, oh, spring stuff. Now the food's going to start to change. Here it comes. Let me tell you who my great food buddies are. You know I love them. We have Chris Prosperi, senior producer Robin Doyen Aiken, Mark Raymond and Alex Province joining us from our sister public station KJZZ in Phoenix. Hey everybody. Hey. Hey, hey. 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 spring guys. Yeah, it's spring. Hey. Yeah, warm uh, weather. So I think yeah, kind of before we get to the wine, the bakery and all that stuff, can, can we just do a little a mashup on all the spring foods that are coming out because yeah. it is exciting. Chris today made us a fresh pea risotto oh, yeah. that was so oh. delicious. So good. Thank you, Chris, for that. And then ramps, right? Oh, yeah. We've picked uh, dozens and dozens already. They grow in little clusters. And the most important thing is don't pick the whole cluster. You pick one or two off that cluster, and then you move to another cluster. And then every year, you can keep going back to the same patch over and over and over again. Do you want a little bulb? I take a little bulb at the end. You'll see there's like four or five, sometimes six or seven coming out of one little cluster. Just take break off two and pull them out of the ground and then go to another cluster because they'll keep coming back. But explain to folks who don't have ramps what that tastes like and how you cook them. Ramps are actually wild leeks. So they're in the onion family. So they have that kind of spark like a fresh spring onion has, like a green onion, a scallion, crossed with a leek. So if you've ever had a leek, you know how they, when you cook them down, they get creamy. They have that consistency too. And I'm telling you, I think it's because we've been in winter so long that whenever I see these and taste them, it just pops that it's winter Chris, is what over. what do you do with yeah. them? Yeah. I saute them, and we had some of the bulb by using the risotto when I make risotto in the spring. Mm. Um, we I, grill I do them. In a, yeah, I do them in a cast iron yeah. skillet, Alex. Butter and olive oil? And just, I, just olive oil for yeah. me. I don't know, yeah. but butter's a good idea. I don't know why I didn't think uh, of that. Anything you can or do both. with leeks or onions, you can do yeah. with rams. 
I love just grilling them. Right before you put that steak on, just throw a bunch mm. of them onto the grill oh. and let them get nice and crispy. Yeah. And, and then serve them on top of your steak. And serve them As right on top of your steak. Cut a piece of steak, yeah. cut a piece of that and eat it together. Oh. That's are, are they too rare to make like a vichyssoise, like a soup out of them? It all. It's not that they're rare. It's the work. After 40 minutes, I usually start, my knees start giving out. And yeah, no, you have to get down and dig. So yeah, you can yeah, dig. Small. I There's one patch. I call it the Valley of the Ramps in Canton, Connecticut. And it's as far as the eye can see. You could literally pick there for days if you wanted to. There's so he will many. not tell where this I is. I will not. Yeah, no. We're going to follow him. <laughs> I tried this last year. And I've showed work. pictures, right? It's an amazing <laughs> spot. Offered and skunk money. cabbage is everywhere, right? And it's you have to look for a little stream, a little bit of water. That's where they grow next to the I water. Know, but is it possible? Because there's skunk cabbage near me mm-hmm. and I keep looking, looking, looking all around it and I'm just not seeing it. It doesn't mean that they're going to be there. It's just it's a good indication that you're near the water, near areas mm-hmm. where they do like to grow. Okay, right. so what's another spring food? Oh, and yeah. we just got those oh. last week for the first time. And they Fiddleheads. grow fiddlehead ferns. I they're never a specific know what to type do of fern. Them. A lot of people love them and a lot of people don't love them. I think you're be- right on that. Because they can be a little bitter. But I always tell people bitter is the flavor we we love to hate, right? With like you, a pasta or something. Don't the Italians oh, yeah. love that bitter? Crush, yeah, chop it up and throw it, fiddleheads in a pasta. But the key is wash them really good. I usually use two or three changes of water. And then I give them a quick blanch in boiling water. And then you can do whatever you want with them. You can saute them. Like Alex said, you can throw them in a pasta. We do a mix with asparagus that's coming up right now. Yeah. I mean, they really have this unique flavor. Everyone always says, what do they taste like? And I'm, it's so hard. They're very grassy. And again, you have to like that taste, that bitterness in your things. I don't like eating them alone. I like sauteing them with other things. So the bitterness is one component in a dish. Mm. There's a texture to them, too. That's yeah, a little really crunch. Nice. This is not exactly a spring thing, but because Chris made risotto for us just before the show... Your trick is that you took the rinds from Parmigiano-Reggiano and you boiled them mm-hmm. in the water. Take them and put them in a pot of boiling water and then let that simmer for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. And then as you're making your risotto, instead of using stock or just regular tap water, use that. We call it Parmesan stock or Parmesan broth. And it has this brininess, this saltiness mm. that makes the risotto so good. And you're not wasting your rinds like most people just yeah. chuck them in the garbage. I throw it actually into my chicken stock. So does it dissolve or do you still No, no, it's still in there. Yeah, Yeah. it's still in there. And you just chuck it. it. Yeah, just chuck it at the end. I strain it and I keep that stuff and we use it for heating vegetables. It's a great, not vegan, but vegetarian broth. So Mark, um, asparagus Mm. is up in your yard, right? Yeah, I just got my first batch of asparagus and I cooked it up in a nice little omelet for Mary and I. Asparagus I love fresh asparagus. I do too. And it's so pasta. If you can (laughs) find, uh, people, if you can find fresh asparagus, I'm telling you, it tastes nothing like the stuff you buy in the grocery store. I've been eating asparagus a lot. It was always store-bought. There weren't a lot of farms in the 80s and 90s that grew asparagus around here because you have to leave it in the ground. You know, once it's done, then it goes dormant and that patch of land can't be used for growing lettuce or anything else. So you need to have a lot of room to do this. So there wasn't a lot. Now you see this resurgence of farms growing these little patches of asparagus. There is nothing like fresh asparagus. What's the difference, Chris? It is just fresher tasting. It's It's juicier. The fresh stuff is like 10 times stronger in flavor 
and juiciness and crispiness. I see it growing sometimes on the side of the road. A wild asparagus. Yeah, that's even now, better. Does that really? taste... Where do you see that? Because I want to yeah. go get it. I know. It, it's a Very place rare. In, in Branford. I'll trade you secrets. Just yeah. a... Oh, <laughs> Look at her. I found <laughs> it. Ah, you that's bet. That's rare. The asparagus yeah. finder. I think it, it grew out of the yard, <laughs> somehow either under or over the wall nice. of these yeah. people's home, and now it's on the outside of the oh, wall. Oh, you should go pick some. You know, I looked and I thought, well, well, that's probably still not legal. You know, I guess it's still technically their <laughs> asparagus, but I wanted to pick it. The There's right. some lady in her yard. <laughs> Leave a dollar in the mailbox. There you go. Yeah. Get Thank out you for the fresh yard, asparagus. Lady. <laughs> Okay, so how do you cook yours when you make asparagus? Lately, I've been roasting it in the oven, but mm-hmm. I love to grill it too. When I get the wood-fired grill going, I've, whatever you know, vegetables, fresh vegetables mm-hmm. I have around, they're going on that grill. I love my asparagus with just that little char. Yeah, that yeah. little char on the tips where it gets crispy almost mm-hmm. and smoky. Oh, and, and asparagus heaven. is one of those vegetables that, depending upon how you cut it, impacts, I think, the enjoyment of eating it. Like Matt will always cut it out of diagonal and then kind of like slice it down Fancy. the center. And it, well, just, yeah, I mean, it's better presentation, but I think it tastes better too. I don't know. I love wrapping in a prosciutto. I even oh, go, yeah. I even go buy the store-bought prosciutto in the package, you know, that's already sliced for you. And that's fine for this use. Everyone loves the pencil asparagus. I love the, the thicker big, ones. Yeah. ones. You Take know, Jacques one. Pepin says that, Chris. Oh, that he said, so much why flavor. are you... He's, why do Americans want thin asparagus? Yeah. That's a waste. Well, he yeah. said it's not better. No. Right. Get the fattest yes. asparagus you can get. That's so where all the flavor is. I learned a lot from yeah. him on that one. <laughs> totally. um, well, I think but, I have the biggest asparagus uh, out here in Arizona. Yeah, so what's growing the, there? Oh, well, we'll we see. have blue agave. And when, they only flower once in their lifetime, and they at around 25 years or so, they'll send up this like Dr. Seuss telephone pole <laughs> size asparagus. It'll grow like feed a day. I'm almost not exaggerating. So I'm going to send you a picture. <laughs> I don't think you can eat it. I have but, to but see this. Mark can tell you, they, if you have asparagus <laughs> in your yard, you can watch it grow. It'll just peek its you head out in the morning. You have to be pretty bored, I think, to do that. No, no. If, in the morning, you'll see it's <laughs> popping its head out of the ground. And by 2 o'clock, it's a stalk. Right. That's how fast it grows. It's an amazing vegetable. Okay, Mm. let's do a little Mother's Day stuff. It's right around the corner, and we want to brainstorm some ideas if you're going to cook mom breakfast. Mark, what do you make for Mary? Well, Mary loves eggs, so I would probably make a frittata, some sort of fancy frittata. Speaking on the asparagus, Mm. I would probably grab some of the fresh asparagus. I always have some roasted peppers in the fridge, so I'll you know slice up some roasted peppers, and then probably throw in a little bit of goat cheese. Yeah, Ooh. you have this beautiful frittata. That sounds delicious. Yeah. What's uh, uh, another thing that we? Oh, could I'm do? going with waffle. I don't know why. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. good. And remember, we had Bruce Weinstein on the on the air not that long ago. He had a recipe in one of his books for cauliflower waffles. Oh yeah. And let me tell you, huh. you crack a fried yeah. egg on top of a cauliflower waffle, and that is heaven. That mm. sounds perfect. Absolute. A fry the egg in a pan and a little butter. Make the cauliflower waffle, which is just shredded cauliflower, an egg, a little bit of cornstarch and some cheese. And you make that batter and you put it in the waffle iron. You mm. boom, set it and forget it until the light changes. And then take it out and you take that fried egg sunny side up and put it right on top. Oh, oh. man. Robin, what I'm do you, ready to go. What, what do you like to have? 
My tradition at my house, I have a a 15-year-old daughter, Violet, and a 10-year-old son, Evan. They like to cook for me, and people can't see me, but I'm saying cook with quotes, air quotes. (laughs) So they they come and cuddle me in bed and usually make me some toast. Some years it's just been cereal with some little flowers and my Mother's Day cards. And some years, if they're loving me a lot that year, I will get like a fancy toast. You know, which with means stuff like, on it. Yeah, yeah. stuff on Cinnamon it. Cinnamon and sugar. Yes, yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> so really, it's like every, a report card. Yeah. <laughs> every year, and I look forward to my toast. <laughs> that is so funny. That's adorable. Yeah. Oh. So breakfast in bed and homemade by a couple of kids who can sort of, you know, work the toaster. Yeah. Who cleans up? Oh, they do. Of course, I'm oh, staying wow. in bed until brunch. Nice. nice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think I would like uh, lemon ricotta. Pancakes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very light. I love pancakes. There's a a place in Bridgehampton, New York called Topping Rose, and it's a Jean-Georges restaurant. It's the first time I've had lemon ricotta pancakes, and I almost fell off my chair. And if I don't have those, I would like to be served a cheese souffle. Nice. Nice. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. good. That would be hard for someone to make, I think. I don't have the courage to request them. (laughs) Okay, Alex, have you made anything for your mom? I mean, what about just really good blueberry pancakes? Yeah. I mean, it goes on like that. Yeah, Yeah. moms love that. Really good maple syrup. Also, backed eggs. If you can find really fresh eggs, nothing's better than like a a minute egg with a little bit of kosher salt on top on a pretty dish with a fresh squeezed glass of orange juice. Mm -hmm. Simple with a little bit of toast. It's so elegant, I think, and fun. Yeah, Mm. you'd still make someone feel special serving that. Also, I think if you're taking somebody out, great, great time to go on the water. Drive down to the shoreline, right? To the sound. Yeah. On a nice oh, day. Pretty. <laughs> yeah. Mother's Day lobster rolls. Ooh. Oh, yes. Just yeah, saying. Just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can I change my order? <laughs> yeah. Forget right. the pancakes. <laughs> All right. Let's switch over because sometimes moms get a glass of wine <laughs> yeah. on the breakfast tray if it's a brunchy sort of a thing. And we have a wine discovery. It has been on the show before, but no vintage is exactly like the last vintage, although beer makers try to do that. Wine is always just a touch different from year to year. So the brand new vintage of this wine, I think this is a wine we pretty much made famous on the show. Without it's a doubt. It's called 11 Minutes, and it is from Italy. And Mark, can you tell us about this 2018 vintage? So the 11 minutes is a dry rosé. We'll say that first. Gorgeous salmon color. And it is from Verona, Italy. It's a wonderful blend of Corvina, Trebbiano, Lugano, Syrah, and Carmenere. And the name 11 minutes comes from the amount of time that they press the grapes. So 11 minutes of skin contact with the red grapes. So you get this beautiful, beautiful, pale, pale pink color. Yeah. And it's just absolutely delicious. It is delicious. I love the crispness of it. It's got this wonderful sort of dried strawberry, but a little essence of lemon peel. Does this make sense? It tastes like a Sancerre. Yeah. But as if someone dropped a piece of strawberry in. 
You nailed it. That's it perfectly. Because there's some floral aroma coming off it. And it's not that you can taste the strawberry, although you sort of can because you're smelling it. Yeah. And then that crisp Sancerre and the color is so fabulous. And for people who don't know what Sancerre is, it's Sauvignon Blanc from the Sancerre region of France. So it's a very, very delicate, well-balanced Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. And this this is just... A beauty. And it's a gorgeous bottle, the shape. It's so unusual. It's just a beautiful presentation. And what's the price point for this, Mark? You should see this at your retailers for about $17 a bottle. If you go online, we tell you who the distributor is. We have a picture of the label, and you're off and running. You can just call the head because people can't stock everything. You'll see probably a fair amount of this. There's a ton of it for the region because it was so popular last time. And it's a cool-looking <laughs> bottle. It's, it's really a really uniquely cool. shaped yeah. bottle. And the sure. label is fun, too. The thing about rosé that's so fun is you need more than one bottle, though. It's so refreshing, right? If you find yourself outside sipping away yeah. with someone, and then all of a sudden you look, and the bottle's gone. And it's, well, it's wonderful if it's very, very cold. That's how yeah, I like I my rosé. Yeah, so we, we figured out yeah. last time that if we got two bottles we could pour one bottle into ice cube trays and put those rosé ice cubes in the wine in the wine the yeah. glass of wine Jeez. and as it melted it would yeah. only be more rosé like our beer <laughs> <Yeah>. cubes <laughs> If only had one glass. I always tease that it only takes 11 minutes to actually drink a bottle. (laughs) (laughs) That's where the name came from. Nice. I like that. It kind of feels true. It goes down pretty easy. It really is. Honestly, this is really, truly delicious. Okay. I love the whole start. And we have an amazing baker. He sent us, in fact, a bunch of stuff that we tried it just before the show, and we had ourselves one good time. So we're on a sugar high <laughs> on this edition <laughs> of the show. More mouth-watering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. We're online now at foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back. You're listening to a rebroadcast of the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. This show originally aired in 2019. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread had a fight. Beans, Beans knocked cornbread out of sight. Beans. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Beans. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. Be 
I'm Faith Middleton. You can sign up for our free podcast, meaning a copy of the show, and it arrives in your inbox every week, and you can listen whenever you want. You listen on your schedule. Get the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm with my treasured food buddies, Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, wine broker Alex Province, Mark Raymond, all senior contributors, and our senior producer, Robin Doyen Aiken. First, I wanted to ask, what do you all drink rosé with? Oh, okay. So for me, rosé is outside. So you got to have it chilled. And then what I like to do when I have friends over is I do like a charcuterie plate, sliced prosciutto, some salami, Mm -hmm. fresh figs, vegetable salads, all stuff you can kind of pick at, olives, that kind of thing. And I put it on this huge board that a friend of mine made me. Everything makes the wine change in flavor. You have a piece of prosciutto on a little cracker. You taste the wine. It tastes one way. Uh You put an olive in your mouth. And it's just a fun way to enjoy it. Mark, what about you? For me, I think seafood, seafood, seafood. Sushi's is a fun little way to have it. I love it with oysters. We had some friends over the other day, and we served it as a first course. And I took little scoops of uh, crab salad, and I put it mm. into uh, endive lettuce. Yes. And just uh, mm. served that. And they were just great little yeah. bites to have while you're having this uh, wonderful rosé. Mm. Alex, how about you? I have mine with a beach. <laughs> with the <laughs> beach? Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, but seriously, um, nothing's better than like fried sardines or pulpo or, or any of that. Uh, like in the south of Spain, they fry tiny little fish in olive oil and you eat bones and all. That You know, they're so delicate. That with um, the crispness of mm. rosé, it does not get better. I drink rosé all year. Mm-hmm. I don't stop at the end of summer. I, I just so. there are just times when I really want it. And it's true. I I want a deeper darker red too because it's cold and it feels good. But yeah. I think I pretty much will drink rosé with anything except uh, spaghetti <laughs> sauce. You know what I know I yeah. mean it. You know and, and even a white sauce I would drink it with that to cut or some of that. Drink yeah. it before Agreed. the spaghetti sauce. Yeah. You know, I was thinking uh, fried chicken. Fried chicken oh, would really be good. perfect. Oh, that's oh, good. Summertime. Yeah. It's like yeah. a fried Sword fish. fish. Yeah. Okay, well, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, hey. we're not done yet. I know, I know. <laughs> There's but so much more. Listen, so when are you all bringing the grill? Mark, your grill is out all the time. Yeah, it doesn't go um, away. I put mine away, and it's not out yet. So when are you bringing your grill up? I used to be like, Mark, I kept mine out all year, but now I'm like you, and I pack it away for the winter. And last year, I didn't take it out until Memorial Day weekend, and... I don't know. I'm thinking the same this year. Do you have the thing that I have where I stood there and I looked at it sitting in the garage and I thought, come on, it's time to get it out. And I looked at it and I I felt this little whisper of intimidation. I thought, how do I run this again? (laughs) How do I quite, (laughs) what did I do last year? Did I clean it before I put it away? (laughs) All those things come into my head. But you know what really gets me? I know it's time because I'll be driving home from work one early afternoon and my windows will be down. Oh, yeah. And I'll be You'll listening to music, it. and all of a sudden, I'll you get I the smell whip. burgers <laughs> or That's somebody's it. grilling something. Even the briquettes. Yes, the briquettes. or it might not even be uh, a food on there yet. It's just when you yeah. smell the first one, yeah. then that's when it triggers. You got to right? And it. then I got to go home and take it right out of the garage. I have <laughs> but, to tell you guys, we grill every single night that's here in not Arizona. That's fair. You're yeah, in Arizona. That's not fair. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. How fun to be able to grill every night. I think that you really know, would be fun. Oh, I think oh, we actually wore out our grill because we use it so much. And how about gas so, or charcoal? I'm on Ooh, charcoal. You're charcoal, on charcoal. Charcoal whenever possible. I'm a charcoal person in terms of the flavor that I prefer. But I do now understand the ease of the gas grill. Yeah. I have a Weber charcoal that lights by gas. And even I get times where I just grab the gas grill and I don't bother. And mine is so easy. You literally just take the charcoal, put it on the grill, light the gas burner underneath the charcoal (laughs) until it gets red hot and turn it off. And even me, sometimes I'm like, I'm just going to wheel out the gas grill, turn it on, flop the lid down, come back in 10 minutes and throw my stuff on there. One of my favorite things to do is I have this tiny, tiny Canadian grill. It's like the old hibachi side. I I love the old hibachi. That's what I want. What's the name of it? (laughs) I'll I'll get get it for you. I I bought it on a television infomercial. No. And you put put wood in it. So it's like your big fancy grill, Mark. Yeah. You put wood in it. You press a button and the fan turns from a battery and constantly stokes the wood. And that's what I like to cook a steak on. Yeah. You actually got a cherry pitter with it too, right? I just remember my (laughs) parents. Faith Middleton is just like everyone else. (laughs) I I remember my parents having a hibachi. And not just one. You got two of them. (laughs) Faith, this is why I don't like my big charcoal grill. Because sometimes I'm just grilling two steaks or two pieces of fish. And my Weber, it's a regular barrel-sized grill that the gas is underneath and you put the charcoal. And it just seems so much So what do you want? You want a hibachi? I just want the old hibachi where you used to take the thing. Take them out of the car? Yeah. Stop oh, no. on the roadside. No, we had them on our stoop in New York. Oh, you yeah. Could take Go the online. Thing there must can be a thousand hibachi. Oh, yeah. You can. There because have to it, be. it would and use. And if you order now, Chris. <laughs> Six easy favorites. No, because it used, what, two cups of charcoal, right? <laughs> yeah. And it took literally five minutes yeah. to get going. And what were they, like nine by nine yeah, squares? Yeah, great. <laughs> but with handles on yeah. them and you could, uh, three I different have, levels. Yes. I have a little round yeah. one that you take to the beach, that I take to the beach, and just do a kind of crazy thing, go down to the dock and get a fish and just cook on the beach. And you can buy those in any hardware store, Chris. Oh, yeah. A little round one that's, round you know, 12 one. inches okay. across. I just I remember as a kid lighting that thing up in the morning. We'd yeah. run down to the brook, grab some fresh trout. We'd clean them and have them for breakfast because you literally could light the hibachi and get it stoked in less than 10 minutes. It was. It What's was, the it was, first thing you guys are going to grow? Great invention. I think burgers. Yeah. Yeah. For this year, you mean, when we take out the grill? Yeah, it's got to be burgers Mm -hmm. because nothing tastes better than burgers. Except hot dogs. Oh, (laughs) they get blistery. I always love when when Matt asks, like, how many hamburgers do you want and how many hot dogs? And I always want two and two, but can never finish more than one and one. (laughs) But it's one of those things that just sounds when you're starving so good. Oh, I know. (laughs) Yeah. Matt's probably like, well, who's coming over? (laughs) (laughs) No one. It's just me. (laughs) Two and two for me, please. He he knows me too well, so he'll just make one and one. (laughs) Does he still ask, though? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Do you folks, does everybody getting the grill out, do you go through the routine of the cleaning and the scraping and the 
I'd just light a fire and just burn everything off and call it <laughs> a day, pretty much. Nothing that smoke comes out. That was know. my house last week. <laughs> I find that if you give it a good cleaning, you get a lot more out of it for the season. Yeah. I always I end up, parts. if I just try to do that burn off thing, I end up with a fire mid midway through the first month of cooking in it. and There's nothing more well, frustrating than when you, know, you got a nice piece of meat mm. or fish or whatever the case may be. And it flames up on you, and it's, ah, oh, then your food's destroyed. And then and you think it does that because it's not perfectly clean? Yeah, you get like a grease buildup on the flavor bars, they call them, and something catches in a corner, and then it just lights all the way across the bar, and ugh, you just get oh, It's funny okay. you call them the, the flavor bars. That's We've what... been researching them, and, and so they'll show the technology that the little juice and fat drops onto it and how it atomizes. <laughs> See, know? that's why I want the hibachi again. There was none of this in... And so then simple. at the end so of the season, you got rid of it. And the next season, you got a new one because it was cheap and easy. There was no flavor bars. It was just a little <laughs> click, click. and Right over the, the charcoal. Fi- yeah, right over the charcoal. Yeah. Life Did they was work? so much easier. It's so 70s, Chris. I know, it is. but I'm, I, it's got to be nostalgia, no? Did everyone here have one? Of oh, course. yeah. Oh, yeah. I used to wrap mine in macrame. <laughs> <laughs> Put it away for the winter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, oh. my brothers and I, like brought ours in the backyard and used it yeah. like in the sandbox. It or had so. little wooden feet, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And people would travel with them in their trunks, and you know, you'd go down to the beach, like down on eighty-five or Route yeah. Two in Connecticut, and then there'd be these little pull-offs with the picnic tables, right? Yeah. You're on right. your way back from the beach, and you'd pull off and pull it out of the and trunk. Do, do, wagon, do you think you know? people still do that or no? Put your no. Corn, I haven't seen it. Your yeah. corn cob on there. Oh. Yeah. Stand. Right. I know. Oh, Life yeah. was simpler. Yeah. If Let's they let get you. hibachis and cook at the beach. <laughs> I'm going to see if I – when I go home tonight, that's going to be my mission. I'm going to find a hibachi grill and I'm going to use that this summer. I think we should put this out to Facebook and see if hibachi anybody still grill. uses a hibachi. Tell us on Facebook, do you cook on hibachi? And if you do, what do you cook? It's time this summer to bring the hibachi grill back. Let's bring it back. (laughs) Faith Middleton Food Schmooze is where we are on Facebook. And we'd love to hear from you about your hibachi experiences. Coming up, as promised, we've got the guy from Red Truck Bakery. We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers. You can get our podcast, as you know, at foodschmooze.org. And we'll be right back. I fell into a burning ring of fire I went down, down, down And the flames went higher And it burns, burns, burns The ring of fire The ring of fire You're listening to a rebroadcast of the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. This show originally aired in 2019. This is the Food Schmooze Party offering the richness of life coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, the Hamptons too, of course. Senior producer is Robin Doyen Aiken. And to hear the show on Connecticut Public Radio, it airs Thursdays at 3. Podcasts and our curated recommendations are always online at foodschmooze.org. And that includes information about this book. Do you think 
everybody that I could resist a cookbook with an endorsement from President Obama, who said on the cover, I like pie. That's not a state secret. I can confirm that the Red Truck Bakery makes some darn good pie. There is also a rave from Oprah and Jane and Michael Stern, our buddies here on the show, the Road Food Warriors. So I opened the pages of the Red Truck Bakery book. Well, this place is on Main Street among apple orchards and rolling hills in rural Virginia. And now, after the raves, people will drive hours out of their way to taste Brian Noyce's Rise and Shine Biscuits, Mom's Walnut Chews, his Shenandoah Apple Cake, and uh, one of the items I crave the most, Kentucky Bourbon Pecan Pie with Chocolate and a Pretzel Crust. Come on. Come on. (laughs) Oh, my. And now, in addition to this cookbook, Red Truck Bakery is online shipping its goods all over the place. And I'm telling you, you're going to have that thigh-slapping reaction (laughs) that we had because we just ate some of this stuff. We have uh, several recipes from the Red Truck Bakery cookbook at our site, foodschmooze.org. And what a story Brian Noyce tells in the introduction about how he learned to boost flavor in his baked goods until eaters and bakers were pretty much swooning. Brian, welcome to the Fuchmo's party. Thanks for having me on. Any friend of Jane and Michael Stern's dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Okay, that's the same here. I have to ask you, the Kentucky bourbon pecan pie. Now, we've experimented with doing a pecan pie here on the show with chocolate in it. We did a shortbread crust, and we were pretty proud of it. But I had never thought about doing this genius thing you did, which is to put it in a pretzel crust, Mm. which has that salty, crispy, crunchy thing going. What a smart idea. Tell me about this. Well, every pie recipe in the book pretty much is based on the same crust. And I wanted to mix that up a little bit. The pretzel idea came from a a couple folks in the kitchen. We played with it a little bit. We liked the idea. I keep thinking that it would make a great, like, margarita pie or something a little cocktail boozy based. Like that. I haven't tried it with tortilla chips, but there's another idea. But, yeah, you're exactly right. That kind of salty, crunchy feel and taste lends itself pretty well to this. The chocolate isn't cloying. There's not a whole lot of it. The filling of the pecan pie is sort of traditional. We try to make everything at the bakery a little less sweet and not so sugar-heavy. Anything with a little bit of bourbon in there, I think, kind of calms it down and mellows it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but there's a there's a secret, I think. You use what's called a smoked sugar. That was interesting to me. Way back when we started, I was driving around Kentucky doing some bourbon homework, and that's a whole other story, of course. <laughs> uh, but I found a guy named Matt at Bourbon Barrel Foods who was making foods based on old bourbon barrels that he was getting in the area. He started with soy sauce, homemade soy sauce, and has taken it into a whole line of foods. Something that just jumped out at me was his turbinado sugar or chunky sugar that is smoked with barrels or staves that had previously held bourbon. So you get kind of a smoky, sweet, little 
extra something in just a good crunchy sugar. And I love that. It kills me that people say there's no pioneering territory anymore. There's nothing to be discovered. Have you ever heard that one? And oh, I, I, I look at them and I say, oh, are you kidding? In just no our chance. world, just the food world, yeah. listen to this guy who dreams up this thing using the bourbon barrels to smoke sugar and his soy sauce in the bourbon barrels. And then we've got Brian here, who is making up a pie like this with a pretzel crust. It's a constant invention in the food world. Yeah, pushing the envelope. I, I like this it. a lot. Um, and I think he just came up with a tortilla chip margarita one, right? I know. I, I can't put you on hold so I can play with it. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> I want to be a tester for you. Thank you for letting us post the, because with Mother's Day coming and everything, there's a barnyard breakfast pie. It's at foochmoose.org. It's everything I like for breakfast dumped in a pie shell is about what it came down to. <laughs> Several things I came up with because we had a lot of things sitting around. There's a shoe fly pie that I make that's called Not Your Amish Grandmother's Shoe Fly Pie that was invented just because we had a lot of Lemon cakes left over at the end of the day, and we started crumbling them, them up and making a, a pie and lightening up that traditional uh, heavier Amish version of that. The barnyard breakfast pie came about the same way because, you know, it's crumbled up biscuits, biscuits, sausage, a little bit of bacon. I mean... Oh, wait a minute. You're not mentioning the smoky pimento cheese. There's that kind of creamy, savory with a little bit of sweet, a little bit of fire. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and good amount of chunk. I mean, God, it sounds like it's describing everything we've seen and talked about today. <laughs> um, but it's, it's great. I mean, you just slice into it, you heat it up, and there's everything you need without messing up the kitchen. You can make it several days ahead and just refrigerate it and just throw it in the oven that morning. Wow. And, and boy, so, mom would love that, especially in bed. Yes. Mm -hmm. We're going to get to your Madeleine's that tribute to Jacques Pepin, who I know is one of your food heroes, and he's a buddy of ours, too. By the way... I love that guy. He is, yes. He is so um, getting a Lifetime Emmy. I think it might be the first they've ever done as a Lifetime Award, so that's really pretty extraordinary. Wow. And um, he's getting it along with Judge Judy. I know. <laughs> I love her beyond imagining. I love Judge Judy. I just well, my, think it's the most hilarious show I've ever seen. My loyalty goes a little bit over onto his side, but um, <laughs> no one is more deserving. I, I just I love him. I love his daughter. Yeah, and, she's uh, great. It's a, it's a great thing. Yeah. Brian, you have taken the most circuitous route to this bakery life imaginable. I thought, oh, this could have been a straight memoir. This is so good. Love the way you write. So tell us a little bit of this story. You started out in, should I say, newspapers? I did start out in newspapers. Actually, I'm from a newspaper family in California, and I grew up kind of playing around at the newspaper with my dad after school. I went on to become an 18-year-old art director of a weekly newspaper in Newport Beach, California, joined a city magazine company uh, as kind of their kamikaze art director in Tampa, Houston, and Detroit until Ben Bradley beckoned me to D.C. to interview at the Washington Post to be the art director. Boy, that was 35 years ago yesterday, actually. I just did a little post on Facebook about it and how my life's changed since then. 
I put in a good 15 years or so at the post. I always had an interest in food. I took vacations, training at the Culinary Institute of America, which in D.C. I always have to say is the other CIA. There's also a a place called L'Academie de Cuisine that just disappeared but was pretty reverential just outside of Washington where I did a lot of training. I was the guy that would always bring in nice food projects for staff meetings at the Post or, or later at Smithsonian Magazine where I also ended up. And, you know, I just kind of wandered up and down the East Coast after moving here, exploring old food dives. I had a copy of Jane and Michael Stern's Road Food in my glove compartment. Uh-huh. And my friend Dwight and I would check out all these places. And I just thought, man, someday I'd like to do that. Years later, I hit 50, and I thought, if I'm ever going to do it, i got to do it now. And so we had just bought a farmhouse outside of D.C., one hour out in the Virginia Piedmont. Being an art director, I thought, well, that old farmhouse needs an old red truck. And I searched online, and I found one in just in gorgeous shape. I was turned over to the seller, who turned out to be Tommy Hilfiger. And I, I bought the truck from him. He had it on his farm. And I started baking on Friday nights out of the farmhouse. And in that old red truck, I would take it around to a couple of country stores uh, out of the Piedmont. Yeah, and then what happens? Because people started lining up, right? They show up at the store before the store opened half an hour or so, and not for the woman who owns the store to, to unlock the door, but for that red truck loaded with pies and cakes to show up. And, and word spread... And then, of all people, Marion Burroughs from the New York Times happened to be at a picnic in Rappahannock County next door to us, had some of our items, sent me an email the next week and asked if I wouldn't mind if the New York Times wrote a little piece about me. And I was like, not at all. And I had 24 hits on my website one day. The next morning, the New York Times piece came out on the front page of the food section and my hits went from two dozen to 57,000 in one day. <laughs> and it just wow. made me think, okay, I might be on to something here. So, <laughs> I think I've got a business. Yeah, yeah. So I, I pursued it. I finally left publishing. I signed a lease on an old 1921 gas station in the middle of uh, the county seat out there. And uh, we opened up a bakery, and I hired two or three staffers, and... We were off and running. Yeah, isn't that incredible? Such a great story. And how did Barack Obama first encounter your pies? Well, that's a great segue because as soon as we opened, the economy crashed. We were suddenly in the Great Recession. It was touch and go for a good while. A few years later, we now had two locations, 40-something employees, and we're sending thousands of things nationwide every year. And so... On a slow day, I sat down and I wrote a note to Obama. On it. it was his last year in office. A month later, Valentine's weekend, my store manager calls me up. I was away. It was my birthday, so I wasn't in. And she said, a guy just stopped by from the White House with an envelope from the president. I said, okay, I'll look at it Monday. I didn't know who brought it by until I got an email from Cody Keenan, who is Obama's chief speechwriter, and so he, he took a, a moonshine cake back to his staff. He took a pecan pie to the president, as he's telling me in this email. I wrote back and said, oh, thanks very much. I wonder who this was. But the pie you should have got in front of him is our sweet potato pecan pie with bourbon. You, you <laughs> sense a theme going on here? He calls back and he says, 
POTUS says yes. <laughs> so, oh, my goodness. The, the next day, I, you know, I spent some time making two or three versions of this pie. And unbelievably, on pie day, March 14th, 3.14, when a presidential administration had a sense of humor, he released a whole salute to the bakery on pie day at 3.14 in the afternoon. And it was it just went nuts. It turned into this big bromance between that administration and our bakery. Uh, we still bake pies for them on Pie Day. We show up with pies. Great, great story. Yeah. And it must have gone crazy, too, after Oprah. Her magazine handpicked us as one of the, their favorite online food sources, which was great. And I cherished this little handwritten note from her that says, in that voice she uses when she stands up and gives everybody a car, I love me some red truck sweet potato pie. <laughs> <laughs> the word love has about 12 O's. In it. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. It's so great. So to get back to the Jacques Pepin tribute, your Madeleine, what is it that you did with these that might make them different from the traditional recipe? Um, a friend of mine says Jacques Pepin and his family are going to be at a book signing event in D.C. Get in there now and bring food for them back in the green room. And by the way, his granddaughter, Shori, who's the co-author of that new book, loves chocolate. So we made a boatload of our buttermilk chocolate chewies. And really, just with an hour to go, I thought, I'm going to make him our Madeleines. I, I learned to make them from L'Académie de Cuisine outside of D.C., which was started by a White House pastry chef. And I know the recipe's great. I've made it. People really love it. And I did, and I got halfway out 66, probably around Manassas, before I hit D.C., and I just thought, this is the stupidest thing in the world to be bringing <laughs> Madeleine to Jacques Pepin. Pepin. Yeah, I almost left him in the car, but I, I brought him in with the chocolate cookies and Jacques pronounced them terrific, and his daughter just loved them. But I've only made them this way, so I'm not quite sure of yeah. the exact traditional way. But I, I always make sure there's a little bit of Meyer lemon zest in yeah, there. Yeah, I little, saw that. Maybe yeah. a little bit of orange zest. When you pipe it in, it has to be thick enough, and you kind of back up on itself, like, like as a toothpaste coming out of a tube back on your toothbrush. You just create that little point halfway back in the center, and that makes this big, nice hump in the back of the Madeline, the individual form. And and swear to God, people who know Madeline's always flip that thing over and see if there's that hump there. And that's, hmm. you know, I made sure they were there, and I watched him turn it over and look at it, and that's when he... He told me how much he liked it. That's nice. That's such a tribute to you. We have on the website this double chocolate moonshine cake. Does that guy still make moonshine in Connecticut? Oh, Onyx. Yeah. Onyx, Onyx, that's Onyx right. Moonshine, yeah. okay. I can't even imagine a, a Yankee making moonshine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this cake calls for moonshine. There's a lot of liquor in these cakes. <laughs> but I like this combination of chocolate chips and buttermilk, a little dark rum, orange zest, a little bit of moonshine. You, you see how this goes? This is good. This you don't is hear really that good. every day. No, you don't. <laughs> Dark brown sugar, lots of butter. When I started the bakery, right off, I knew I wanted to do something with moonshine, and I didn't know what that would be. 
Moonshine on its own is a little tough, so I needed some good, probably heavy flavorings to go with it. It works really well with chocolate. Orange helps, too, and I love orange and chocolate together. There's just a hint of orange in there. But even the nutmeg kind of sparked it up a little bit. Within the Hmm. first two months, a couple came in and they wanted a chocolate moonshine wedding cake, but they didn't want a tiered thing, so we made it in the shape of a big hooch jug reacted <laughs> on it and they loved it. I mean, it was a wedding at a Virginia farm out in the barn and it kind of led to, okay, what about bourbon? And then my friend Dwight's 90-year-old choir director in Sanford, North Carolina, always made sure that he had uh, one of her rum cakes waiting for him when he came home to visit. And his mom got the recipe from her But his dad was a a mail carrier, and so this 90-year-old choir director would make him drive her to the ABC store where she'd hunker down in the car while he went in to get the hooch because no self-respecting Presbyterian choir director could be caught dead in in an ABC store. <laughs> and so, so that you know that begat other things. The almond cake you tasted is made with local amaretto from Middleburg. Yeah, that was Virginia. good, really good. And it's kind of why, in a late, not long ago issue of Southern Living, they referred to us as the bakery with a drinking problem. So now we, <laughs> we oh, that's beautiful. Um, so, what's the wildest? I mean, it is pretty wild to be having notes and sending pies to President Obama. But what would you say is another totally wild place that you have sent your goods to? I mean, we send our St. Patrick's Day Guinness cakes to the Irish embassy. And Tim (laughs) Kane, our senator here, is a good Irish boy. He loves that. He loves everything we make. Well, one kooky thing was I revered road food. That copy of the book was just beat up in my glove compartment as we'd make these treks to these funny little dives and greasy spoon joints up and down the East Coast. And here I am in the kitchen, and I look up, and that's the weirdest thing of all is to see Michael Stern walk in. And I just looked at him. I thought, oh, my God, you don't even know how responsible you are for this place. <laughs> We've gotten to be good buddies, and he and Jane have kind of, like, shouted across the country about yeah. uh, the good things coming out of our bakery. Thank you so much, Brian Noyce owner and author of this book based on your bakery, Red Truck Bakery in Virginia. It's your cookbook, and they also ship online. Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks very much. And never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Come to my house.